The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure you get the best experience. Are you a fan of spine-chilling tales of the unexplained? If so, get ready for an exciting new podcast experience. Chillers and thrillers. Immerse yourself in the world of the paranormal as I, your host, narrate true stories about people's hair-raising encounters with ghosts, demons, and other eerie phenomena. In Chillers and Thrillers, I'm dedicated to bringing you authentic, bone-chilling accounts without any comedic elements or skepticism. So dim the lights, leave your skepticism behind, and settle in comfortably for our bi-monthly episodes, available on your favourite podcast platforms. Here at Haunted UK Podcast Towers, we're committed to giving you high-quality, great episodes time after time after time. But this takes a lot of effort in research, writing, editing, recording, mixing, mastering and publishing. We don't have a fancy production company or a bank of scriptwriters or a large budget to keep everything going. We are a fully independent podcast. If you'd like to help the show, then why not get over to Coffee and search for the Haunted UK podcast, where you can subscribe to give just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd rather not sign up for a monthly subscription, then you can simply make a one-off donation. Again, as little or as much as you like. This really helps the show with our website, coffee membership, merchandise, equipment, as well as other financial commitments. So if you feel that you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's K-O hyphen F-I and search for the Haunted UK podcast. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are Dominic Harris, Susan Metcalf, and last but not least, Georgina Takagni. Now without any further delay, let's get this episode started. Making sure their parents were asleep, the two 17-year-olds quietly left their homes with their tent, sleeping bags and other bits and pieces and drove to a secluded spot. At around midnight, they'd found the perfect place to camp, so began pitching their tent and getting comfortable. It wasn't long after this that they both thought they heard something moving around in close proximity to their tent. Initially, they thought it was probably a deer. Wild deer are very common on Canuck Chase, so this wasn't too much of a surprise, but a large deer can inflict quite some damage if it feels threatened. So the last thing the couple wanted to do was to scare the deer into charging at their tent. They kept still and quiet, and continued to listen. But this was when the sounds of movement changed into the sounds of very definite footsteps 
there was someone in the forest with them. This is episode 43 of the Haunted UK podcast, and in this episode, we'll be paying a visit to one of the strangest locations in England, Cannock Chase. A few miles to the north of England's second capital city, Birmingham, lies one of the country's largest parks. It has forests, mountain bike trails, walks, leisure assault courses, and much, much more. But this is also an area where the strange and unusual meet head-on, where the paranormal has found a firm footing. Cannock Chase has a very rich and long history, stretching all the way back to its formation in the Triassic period. It was designated as an area of national beauty back in 1958 and covers an area of approximately 26 square miles, where a rich and varied abundance of wildlife call it home. But there are apparently other strange forms which inhabit this beautiful parkland. Ghosts, cryptids and even black-eyed children have been encountered at Cannock Chase for many years by hundreds of witnesses. And some of these sightings have been truly horrific and terrifying. But are they all true? Well, listen to the stories first, then decide. We begin our journey through the creepy terrain of Cannock Chase by hearing several stories relating to what many people regard as one of the most scary, eerie, and terrifying elements of the paranormal, black-eyed children. These strange and genuinely horrifying phenomena can be traced back to the 1970s, so as far as a timeline goes, it's not all that old, but that hasn't stopped it from conjuring up a number of documentaries and movies. Just the thought of a young, innocent, and seemingly harmless child asking for a lift in the darkness of night doesn't sound too scary at all. But these children possess extremely eerie and creepy abilities. Abilities that almost hypnotize their potential victims into making catastrophic decisions. Their voices have been described as monotone, robotic, completely void of emotion. Their physical abilities have been compared to those of possessed characters in horror movies, performing extremely painful, and non-human movements that shouldn't be possible. Then, 
there's the black eyes. Most accounts of encounters with black-eyed children tell of the entire eyeball being black, not just the pupil and iris. If that isn't terrifying enough, their eyes also seem to have a dangerous hypnotic quality that witnesses say they have had to use every single ounce of their own strength not to give in to what these children wanted them to do. But what was it that they wanted them to do? In many cases, it seems that these children have very specific requests. They want you to invite them into your home. They want you to open your passenger car door and offer them a lift. They want you to take their hands and help them look for their brother or sister or their parents. It simply doesn't bear thinking about what would happen if a witness completely gave in to their silent demands. During the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021, two teenagers, who we'll call Ben and Kylie, decided that they could no longer be apart, so they hatched a plan to sneak out of their respective homes for one night. The forests of Cannock Chase weren't too far away at all, and they found the ideal place to pitch a tent. Their position would be well hidden, as not many people would be roaming around in the darkness of Cannock Chase forests in the height of a pandemic. But that's not what happened. Making sure their parents were asleep, the two 17-year-olds quietly left their homes with their tent, sleeping bags and other bits and pieces, and drove to a secluded spot. At around midnight, they'd found the perfect place to camp, so began pitching their tent and getting comfortable. It wasn't long after this that they both thought they heard something moving around in close proximity to the tent. Initially, they thought it was probably a deer. Wild deer are very common on Canuck Chase, so this wasn't too much of a surprise, but a large deer can inflict quite some damage if it feels threatened. So the last thing the couple wanted to do was to scare the deer into charging at their tent. They kept still and quiet and continued to listen. But this was when the sounds of movement changed into the sounds of very definite footsteps. There was someone in the forest with them. Alarmed but still trying to stay calm, they unzipped the tent to see if they could spot who it was but the sounds of footsteps were soon joined by the sound of a young, giggling child, which made the teenagers sick with fear. Ben grabbed a torch, switched it on in a bid to try and see who this stranger was. And it was then, then that he spotted a small form hiding behind the trunk of a tree. Both Ben and Kylie sat in a terrified stupor as they watched a very young girl move in a very disturbing fashion from tree to tree, steadily getting closer. Every now and then, the girl would peer out from the tree trunk she was hiding behind and then seemed to teleport, as the two teenagers described it, to the next tree. The movement seemed unnatural, appearing from tree to tree, certainly not what a human being would be able to do. Kylie said, quote, I was absolutely terrified. I'd read the stories in the news about the black-eyed children, but it wasn't until the things stood in front of me that I could quite believe them. I knew instantly that we were dealing with the real thing, 
because it moved in ways humans simply can't move. It was like it could teleport from one place to another when it was moving around and hiding behind the trees. End quote. Ben also confirmed the sighting by adding, I was shining my torch right at her, and she just stood there staring at us with her head slightly dipped. That's when the giggling started to get louder and louder. It really sounded like it was coming from all around us, even though I could see she was right in front of us. It was really disorientating for a few seconds. Then she bent down for a moment, as if adjusting her shoes, stood back up, and ran off down a nearby path through a dense section of trees. End quote. As you can imagine, the couple were completely terrified. But what could they do? Should they risk leaving their tent and try to make their way back to the car, completely unaware of what was now obviously roaming around the forest? How many of these spectral children were out there, in the darkness, waiting for them? They both thought it best to stay put and wait for daylight. They would then pack up and leave as quickly as possible. As the sun began to rise and daylight began to fill the forest, the two teenagers emerged from their tent to a sight which chilled them even more. They found that someone, or something, had assembled small piles of stones which were evenly spaced out from each other, completely encircling their tent. They also found sticks which had been bent and shaped into what looked like strange dream catchers. Was this some type of ritual that was being set up around the couple? They quickly packed their tent away and gathered everything else together, then started the approximate 15-20 to 20 minute walk back to Ben's car. But their ordeal wasn't quite over yet. As they neared the car, Kylie suddenly let out a scream as she spotted a little girl staring at her from behind the trunk of an oak tree. Ben then shouted at the girl to leave them alone, and the pair picked up the pace and began running. They made it to the car, and then away from the forest and from the scene of the most terrifying night of their lives. Another two sightings of this incredibly frightening entity happened around the early 1980s. The first encounter was witnessed by a woman and her daughter who were out walking in the Birches Valley area, where the previous sighting by the two teenagers took place. As the mother and daughter were out enjoying the area, they suddenly heard what sounded like the high-pitched screams of a young girl. Immediately on high alert, the mother and daughter began running in the direction of where they thought the sound was coming from, but they couldn't find any trace of a child or person. As they both stopped to briefly catch their breath, however, they became aware of a presence behind them. The mother stated that she turned around to see a young girl, no more than 10 years old, stood motionless with her hands over her eyes. She asked the girl, quote, Are you okay? Was that you screaming just now? End quote. It was at this moment that the girl slowly lowered her hands down to her sides, lifted her head up slightly as if to look at the concerned mother and daughter, who only wanted to help, and then opened her eyes. There were no iris or pupils. The young girl's eyes were completely black. This caused both mother and daughter to stumble back a few steps in shock. The mother then grabbed hold of her daughter, 
to offer protection of some sort, but on turning back to look at the girl, they were both shocked to find that she'd vanished. To this day, they have no explanation as to what they saw, or who this young girl was, or where she suddenly disappeared to, but there was no way that she could have run away without them seeing her. Another similar sighting happened to an 18-year-old woman way back in 1982. She would regularly meet up with her friends over at Cannock Chase, but on one particular evening, things didn't quite go to plan. It was early evening, and not quite dark, when the 18-year-old was on her regular route to meet friends, when suddenly, she heard the voice of a young girl screaming for help. As with the previous encounter, the woman ran in the direction of the screams, hoping to find the child, and quickly found herself on a dirt track. There, running in the opposite direction was a girl around six years old. The woman easily caught up with the youngster, and when she was almost within touching distance, the girl stopped, turned around, and looked directly into the eyes of the 18-year-old. The child's eyes were completely black, like a cat. The child stared unblinking for what seemed like minutes, and after this, she darted into a heavily forested area, leaving the young woman alone, frightened and confused. Quickly, she made her way out of the area, but was so worried about the little girl that she contacted the police, and they conducted a search, but found nothing. In another alarming case, a couple who were out walking in Cannock Chase in 2014 had a very strange experience. Making their way from the open pathways and into the thicker woodland, they began to hear the very distinct sound of a young girl's laughter, a creepy type of giggling noise. As the couple looked around for the source of the noise, they could see nothing. But then, suddenly a very young girl appeared on the pathway up ahead from seemingly nowhere blocking their way. They both stopped. They knew something about the girl was very wrong. It was then they noticed her eyes, and the girl's head was tilted to the side as if she'd been hung. But her eyes, her eyes were completely black. The girl stared at the couple for around five minutes, never blinking, then sprinted into a densely wooded area. The woman was very concerned and wanted to chase after the girl, but her partner objected, and they turned back and returned to the more open pathways, shaken. There are several theories which have been put forward to give explanation as to what, or who, the black-eyed children could be. Many feel that they are a type of demonic entity, stalking the forests, seeking out victims, whilst others claim that the young girls are victims of a truly horrific crime which really happened. Trigger warning. This next section contains descriptions of child abduction and murder. During roughly a two-year period between 1965 and 1967, a child serial killer was on the prowl around the Cannock Chase area. Raymond Leslie Morris's first victim was six-year-old Margaret Reynolds. She disappeared on the 8th of September 1965, not too far away from her home in Aston, Birmingham. Her sister was the last person to see her alive, 
as they both went their separate ways to go to their different schools. When Margaret failed to return home, her parents got in touch with the school and were told that she hadn't been in attendance all day. They immediately contacted the police. A large search effort was conducted and the police questioned over 25,000 persons of interest, but they could find no trace of her at all. It was on the 30th of December of that same year that Raymond Leslie Morris struck again. This time, his target was five-year-old Diana Joy Tift. Last seen at around 2pm outside her grandmother's house in Warsaw, Diana disappeared without trace and with no witnesses. One family member, though, thought they saw her near a laundrette, which was on her way home, but the sighting couldn't be verified. At 7pm that evening, Diana's worried parents called the police. As with the disappearance of Margaret Reynolds, the police organised an extensive search which involved over 500 officers, some of which had also been involved in the search for Margaret Reynolds. It was estimated that an additional 2,000 members of the public were also involved in the search. But again, no trace of Diana was found. Christmas 1965 came and went, and on the 12th of January 1966, a member of the public who was on Canuck Chase hunting rabbits made a shocking discovery. Partially concealed by undergrowth next to a water-filled ditch, lay the body of five-year-old Diana Joy Tift. But this wasn't the only tragic find that was uncovered that day. Lying just a matter of a few feet away was the decomposing body of Margaret Reynolds. Whilst it now seemed that there was a link here between the two victims, police also felt that a third girl could have been a much earlier target of this likely serial killer. Back in 1964, on the 2nd of December, nine-year-old Julia Taylor was in Blockswich near Warsaw at 9pm when a man in a blue Vauxhall convinced Julia that her mother had told him to take her to her aunt's house to fetch some Christmas presents. Julia got in the car and was subjected to a horrifying ordeal. She was sexually assaulted, strangled and then disposed of into a ditch by the side of the road. Around an hour later, a passing cyclist found the young girl and waved down a van driver who took her to hospital. She would almost certainly have died from exposure had the cyclist not found her, making her the possible first victim of Raymond Leslie Morris. During police interviews, Julia couldn't remember much of the ordeal, but a small number of witnesses came forward who said they had seen a young girl getting into a quite distinctive car. This vehicle was described as having two-tone paintwork with fins at the rear, but the vehicle was never traced. Over 12 months went by before Raymond Leslie Morris struck again. This time, it was seven-year-old Christine Darby. It was the afternoon of August the 19th, 1967, and Christine was near her home in Warsaw with two friends, when a man in a grey car pulled over next to them and asked for directions to Coldmore Green. All three girls knew exactly where this was as it was very close by, so they pointed in the general direction. But the man in the car appeared to get confused. 
He asked one of the young girls, Christine, to jump into the car and show him where Coldmore Green was, and he would happily drive her back to her friends afterwards. Christine's family didn't own a car, so this was going to be an exciting experience for her. She climbed into the passenger seat and sat down. As soon as the door was closed, the driver turned around and took off at high speed in the direction of Coldmore Green. Christine's two friends ran straight to her mother's house and told her of the incident. Obviously horrified, Christine's mother ran to the nearest payphone to alert the police. From interviews conducted with Christine's two friends, the police were now 100% certain that they were looking for a local man. By the 20th of August, police had distributed approximately 24,000 leaflets to both the public and to local shops, asking for information in regard to Christine Darby's disappearance. Also on the 20th of August, around 300 officers began a thorough search of Cannock Chase, and they were soon joined by a further 250 officers from different police forces, as well as some 250 soldiers from the nearby Staffordshire Regiment barracks. Almost immediately, clothing was found, including a child's plimsoll, but it was on the 22nd of August that Christine's body was finally discovered. Soldier Michael Blundred discovered her body in amongst a collection of trees, partially covered by broken fern branches. After another near-fatal abduction attempt on 10-year-old Margaret Alton on the 4th of November 1968, Raymond Leslie Morris was finally arrested on the 15th of November that same year. He was then formally charged on the 17th of November for the murder of Christine Darby and the attempted abduction of Margaret Alton. On the 18th of February 1969, Raymond Leslie Morris was sentenced to life imprisonment. It took the jury less than two hours to reach their verdict. But there was insufficient evidence to charge him with the other two murders of Margaret Reynolds and Diana Joy Tift, as well as the attempted murder of Julia Taylor. All of these poor young girls suffered horrific sexual assaults, and it was the firm belief of all of the investigating officers that Raymond Leslie Morris was responsible for all of those crimes. Raymond Leslie Morris never saw the outside of his prison walls again. He died on the 11th of March 2014 at the age of 84. It's a tremendously difficult position to be put in when you have strange paranormal events which could possibly share links with horrific true crimes. But could these poor unfortunate girls be the spirits of the children spotted by so many witnesses. I feel that this is something that I would rather leave well alone, out of respect to all those involved. Another interesting theory put forward is the possibility that these children are the spirits of those who succumbed to a diphtheria outbreak in the area around the 1800s. This theory could hold some weight, as one of the effects of diphtheria is that it can make the eyes look dark and more sunken than normal. Whatever, or whoever these children are, remains a mystery. A mystery that I personally wouldn't want to encounter in my lifetime. As well as black-eyed children, Canic Chase also has its fair share of mysterious cryptoid animals. The werewolf being probably the most terrifying, 
I have covered the many cases of werewolf sightings at Cannock Chase in the seventh episode of Season 2, Werewolves in the UK. If you'd like to hear more, and you haven't listened to that episode, give it a listen and see what you think. One of the stranger but rarely seen cryptids in the area is the Cannock Chase Pigman. A number of witnesses have come forward with fantastic stories of their encounters with some sort of human-pig hybrid creature. According to some sources, who allegedly had close connections to the British and American military, after the end of the Second World War, British and American scientists continued the work the Nazis had started, which involved horrific experiments on live human beings. A program was put together to see what the effects would be if female humans were impregnated with hybrid eggs. Their pregnancy would be closely monitored, and when they would finally give birth, the resulting babies would be taken away and studied. Sounds incredibly far-fetched, doesn't it? Well, the story doesn't end there. Rumor has it that a woman was indeed abducted and impregnated, and after around 10 months, it was deemed that the pregnancy had failed. But maybe not. Maybe it was just somehow physically delayed. Because around 12 months later, the woman allegedly gave birth to what was described as a pig-human hybrid. As with many horror and sci-fi movies which revolve around these types of topics, the hybrid gained a level of intelligence so great that it ultimately escaped its confinement and chose to hide away in the woodlands and forests of Cannock Chase. This is when the sightings began, and there have been quite a few, but one in particular is quite disturbing. In 1993, a couple identified as John and Anne were enjoying a walk around the Castle Ring area of Cannock Chase when they began to hear strange noises coming from an area of very dense woodland. They described the sounds as being like a couple, quote, enjoying an illicit liaison, end quote, so decided to walk away from the area quickly. As they neared the steps to the car park, they both turned around out of curiosity to see if the people who were making the noises had moved from the cover of the trees. But instead, they both saw something that should only belong in nightmares. They described a creature approximately seven feet tall, wearing human clothing, but not looking like a human at all. They described the head as being much too large for a human being, with the features more reminiscent of a pig. The face was quite elongated, and where the nose should have been, there was a snout-like protrusion. John was astounded by what he was looking at, but Anne was completely terrified and wanted to get in the car as quickly as possible. As they got inside their car, they began to hear horrible high-pitched squealing noises, described by the couple as sounding like a pig being killed. As you'd already have probably guessed, no photos or evidence exists of this creature, but does that mean it's not real? Just as some food for thought, there is a structure called Pie Green Tower, not far from the location where this sighting took place. Pie Green was constructed as part of the British Cold War and considered a vital component in the backbone of our Cold War radio communications network. So it's quite clear that the British military and security services 
had a vested interest in the Canuck Chase area, and there are a lot of old mining works. So who's to argue against the possibility of an old facility still being in the area, maybe closed for decades? Another famous cryptid, which has stalked the forests and woodlands of Canuck Chase for years, is the Black Dog, Hellhound, or the Ghost Dog of Brereton. The legend of the Black Dog can be traced all the way back to Celtic times, but its actual origins are much harder to pin down. In England, this mythical animal is known by many different names, including Black Shuck in Suffolk, Barghest in Yorkshire, and the imaginative Yeth Hound in Cornwall. Throughout the UK and Europe, demonic black dogs have been reported for centuries, and there's even a news article dating way back to 1577, which was written by the Reverend Abraham Fleming, which tells of the appearance of a ghostly black dog at a church in Suffolk. So what sightings of these creatures have been reported from Cannock Chase? Well, one of the strangest took place in 1972. A man named Nigel Lee was driving through Cannock Chase one evening when he saw what looked like a large ball of light crash into the ground. Astonished, Nigel slowed his vehicle down to a crawl to get a better look at what the object was. But instead of seeing some sort of wreckage, he saw what he described as the biggest dog he'd ever seen. Oh my God. Now throughout folklore, the sighting of the black dog is considered extremely unlucky and bad fortune usually follows. And this is exactly what Nigel felt happened to him. Within a month of him seeing the black dog, a very close friend of his died in a horrific industrial accident. To this day, Nigel believes that his encounter with the animal led directly to his close friend's death. Another notable sighting occurred in 1985 to a woman named Sylvia Everett. She and her husband were out driving near Colpit Lane on a warm summer's evening. They recalled that, although the evening was still light and warm, there was a mist which stretched across the road. As they drove, they spotted a large figure walking on all fours, crossing the road. It seemed much larger than any dog they had ever seen, but the mist prevented them from fully seeing what the figure could have possibly been. Could the sightings of this creature be related to the former Lee Hall and Brereton collieries? A place with plenty of shaft and crannies for any creature to hide in. A place where many workers died, sometimes in terrible circumstances. Many of these types of creatures are considered harbingers of doom, seemingly picking out specific people to deliver their terrible messages to. But what other strange elements of the paranormal does Canuck Chase have to offer? Well, there's a number of very interesting ghosts which allegedly roam the hills, woods, and forests. Let's begin with one of the most popular and most often seen ghosts, the Spectre of the Seven Springs. The Seven Springs is a very popular location in Canuck Chase. Water meets woodland here, and pathways guide you around this beautiful spot where people have picnicked, walked, and cycled for many years. During the day and through the seasons of the year, this beautiful place offers something new to everyone. But during the night, the whole area takes on a completely different character. 
Some of the first sightings of the spectre of the Seven Springs took place way back in 1949. An article in the Staffordshire Advertiser tells of an apparition of a young woman who appeared near Wheatman Bridge. One witness said that this ghostly woman seemed incredibly distressed, and there may have been good reason for this. This bridge crosses the River Trent, and it's widely believed that ghosts have great difficulty crossing bodies of water. This spirit was also seen by a local councillor by the name of George Owen. He was being driven home by a chauffeur late one evening, and as they neared Seven Springs, George said that he noticed a woman at the side of the road, emitting a strange white glow, waiting for a lift. Or so it seemed. So George asked his chauffeur to pull over to offer help to the woman. According to George, the chauffeur lowered the window and leaned out to offer assistance. And as he spoke to the mysterious stranger, she looked straight at him and what? disappeared. Where did she go? George saw everything and said she simply vanished. One minute she was standing near the car. The next minute, she disappeared. He noted that she was wearing a long gown that trailed along the floor and a veil covering her face. But he could still make out that she was a very striking young woman. He also said that as his chauffeur was talking to her, she never answered him back once. He has continued to drive the same way in the hopes of seeing her again, but so far, she's never reappeared. Another sighting took place in the same area to a man named Frederick Wigan. He was cycling from Rugeley when, as he neared the Seven Springs area, he noticed a female figure stood slightly back from the road. As with George Owen's sighting, he also said that she had a strange glow about her, but on this occasion, it was only her face. He described it as if she was in the beam of a car headlight, but there was no one else around at the time. She allegedly stood there and watched him for what Frederick estimated as being around two minutes. Then she disappeared right before his eyes. So who is this ghostly figure? Does she have a backstory? Well, apparently, yes, she does. Many locals in the area tell the story of a woman who was murdered by her husband after he discovered evidence of an affair with another man. As she was approaching their secret meeting point, her husband was already there ahead of her. And you can guess what happened next. But is this all true? Or is it just a story that has grown from a small rumor, perhaps? Everything needs a beginning, doesn't it? Moving on to a different ghost, this next sighting is very unusual because it also has strange characteristics attributed to it. Characteristics normally found in a close encounter of the third kind. A woman by the name of Linda said that she was driving home after meeting up with a friend who lived in Pie Green, not far from Cannock. It was a dark November night in 2019 and Linda estimated that it was around 11.30pm, but there was nothing unusual about the journey at all, until she decided to take a shortcut. As she made her way near Spring Slade Lodge, she was alarmed to see someone step out into the middle of the road and turn to face her. Linda reacted as quickly as possible and hit the brakes hard 
bringing her car to a screeching halt. After a few seconds of realizing what had just happened, Linda turned her focus back to the figure in the road, and it was not what she was expecting to see. Standing at a short distance from her car, and fully illuminated in the glare of Linda's headlights, stood what she thought was a female person, but her opinion quickly changed. The figure in front of her was completely naked, but her skin was a very disturbing pale grey in colour, as if she was dead. This being also had no genitalia or breasts, but her body shape suggested that she was female. As Linda made contact with the strange figure's eyes, she found herself immediately unable to move. Whether this was out of sheer terror or down to some sort of weird phenomena, Linda wasn't sure, but she also said that she felt like she was being mentally examined. This individual's eyes were unusually large compared to a normal human being's, and Linda was somehow hypnotically drawn to them. As this strange being stood there staring at Linda, she was completely powerless to break the connection and get away. Linda estimated that this went on for around two full minutes before the figure turned and walked off into the thick, dark woodland. Almost immediately after the being had broken their stare with Linda, she could move and quickly put her car into gear and drove away as fast as possible. Linda never saw the strange being again, but she did have many dreams where she would see the being's eyes staring at her. Linda decided to call her the Lady of the Chase, and now very rarely ventures around those same roads which took her into the path of something truly unknown. So what was this being? A ghost? An entity of some kind? An alien being, perhaps? To this day, the identity of this person remains unknown, and it is also unsettling that there seems to be something hypnotic and strange with the eyes of these strange inhabitants of Canuck Chase. Could there be a connection between the Lady of the Chase and the Black-Eyed Children here? So Linda's encounter does conveniently bring us onto another topic which Canuck Chase is well known for, UFO sightings. Strange lights and objects in the sky have been spotted over Canuck Chase for years, but one of the most mysterious UFO events to ever take place over this stretch of land still divides skeptics and believers to this day. An incident which occurred around February to March 1964 sounds more like something that would happen in a sci-fi movie, but the following UFO case had all the markings of an event which actually did take place. It was initially uncovered by U.S. Naval Officer S. M. Brannigan, who was part of the U.S. Air Force's intelligence services at the time. He decided to leak a story to the public of an alleged crashed UFO, which broke apart and partially came down close to a town called Penkridge, near Canuck Chase. S. M. Brannigan said that whilst working for the intelligence services, he intercepted a Russian radio transmission which detailed the crash of a UFO. This UFO had malfunctioned and split into two pieces, with the larger of the two coming down in Penkridge and the smaller one landing somewhere over West Germany, 
the US Air Force, the RAF and NATO executed a joint operation to recover the wreckage and clean up the site. But there were also bodies. Three of them. Now all of this could have been easily dismissed as a downed light aircraft or even just misinformation. But then a witness came forward saying that he'd actually seen the remains of the UFO. Blocks which local Harold South said that whilst driving in the area at the time of the crash, his vehicle was stopped at a roadblock, which appeared to be operated by the army, RAF and local police. Harold, who was a keen photographer, began taking photos of the scene and even snapped a few shots of the wreckage of the crash, which he said was partially covered by a tarpaulin. The wreckage was then being loaded onto a transport plane for an unknown destination. But it was what the RAF officers did next that raised real suspicion that there may be something more to this innocent crash site. They forcefully confiscated Harold's camera and then returned it back to him moments later with no film inside. His pictures were gone. But how did we know about Harold South's witness testimony when the entire incident had been hushed up? Well, it was another former US Air Force intelligence officer, Leonard Stringfield, who'd kept a copy of Harold's witness account. On top of these very strange series of events, during the late 1980s and early 1990s, an entire collection of witnesses' testimonies began to roll in with details of sightings of black triangular-shaped objects in the night skies over the Canuck Chase area. Can these sightings be put down to US Air Force B-2 stealth bombers or the F-117A Nighthawk stealth fighter? Who knows for sure, but what we do know is that there was a huge interest in Canuck Chase by the military and it has long been confirmed by the US Air Force that Canuck Chase was a regular flight path for both the B-2 and the stealth fighter, which would have been stationed on the East Coast. I myself have seen a stealth bomber late at night as I was driving on the A-14 and A-11 in Norfolk many years ago. So this is a huge possible explanation for these sightings. But yet again, we can't be 100% certain. So after hearing all of these stories of such strange phenomena in such a concentrated area, you'd think that Canuck Chase couldn't possibly offer any more to the cryptid hunter or paranormal investigator. But you'd be wrong. One other topic I'd like to talk about, which has a rich history of credible witness sightings, are large black cats. For these sightings to continue for decades, there has to be a breeding population of these large and dangerous animals. But where would they hide? How would they survive? Well, let's not forget that Canuck Chase is around 26 square miles. It has a huge mixture of terrains which include heathland, woodland, dense forests, and many abandoned military buildings and mine shafts. These areas alone are the ideal places for big cats to flourish, and couple that with the mixture of wildlife that call the chase home, most notably a large deer population, and you have an almost perfect environment for these animals to survive in. Cats are expert hunters, 
who use stealth, speed, strength and cunning. Canuck Chase would be an ideal home for them. Historian Richard Pursehouse had two encounters on Canuck Chase with a very large black cat. Both sightings took place around 15 years ago, and Richard freely admits that the first was at some distance, so he couldn't be 100% sure if it was a dog or cat. But it was the length of the tail that cast doubt in his mind that it could have been a dog. The second sighting, however, reinforced his belief that what he'd seen the first time was definitely some sort of big cat. As he was walking along a pathway, he recalled that a very large black cat crossed in front of him no more than 20 yards away. Richard said that he was sure that it was a puma with a long and round tail, and he watched in amazement as it vanished into dense undergrowth. Another very strange event was recorded by a witness named Miss S. Thomas of Hensford, who found a larger-than-usual kitten while walking on Canuck Chase. Not wanting to just leave it there, where she was certain that it would be killed, she picked it up and took it back home. But it wouldn't be long before Miss Thomas would realize that this was no ordinary cat. She said that it began to grow very quickly, easily becoming much larger than any domesticated cat she'd ever seen, noting that it didn't lie down or purr like a normal cat. Instead, it would emit a type of low growling noise. Things came to a head when the animal attacked Miss Thomas's daughter, leaving her with a number of nasty injuries. So from that moment on, the cat was confined to the outdoors. It wasn't long before the animal disappeared for good, maybe making its way back to Canuck Chase. With miles and miles of trails for mountain bikers and regular cyclists to enjoy, it's not unusual for sightings of big cats to get reported. In 2002, mountain biker Matthew was cycling in the Seven Springs area when he saw a very large black cat around 100 meters away from him on the opposite side of a valley. He said that he watched it for around 30 seconds, and judging by its size against the bushes and trees it was passing, it was way larger than any cat or dog he'd ever seen. But this wasn't his only encounter. On another ride out with friends near a Territorial Army training camp, Matthew said that they all heard a very deep and guttural growl coming from dense woodland a few meters away. He freely admitted that while none of them actually saw the creature that was making the noise, it was still a very frightening experience for them all. Another sighting came from a mountain biker known only as Jake. He reported a very close confrontation with what he described as a huge black cat. The incident took place in 2016 on one of the popular Red Route mountain bike trails that snake their way around the hills and woods of Canuck Chase. These trails are hugely popular all year round, but on this occasion, Jake found himself relatively alone on an early morning winter's ride. He recalled that it had been light for around an hour when he started out on one of the trails. He also remembered that while the weather was cold and damp, it was also bright and the sun was climbing higher and higher into the winter sky. 
There was a section of track where Jake said that you had to climb, climb and climb. Then you'd be rewarded by a long downhill straight, ending in a very tight 180 degree turn, returning you onto another straight and so on, until you began to climb again. It was on one of these climbs that Jake saw something moving near the trees, approximately 50 meters ahead of him. He slowed to a stop, describing a strange feeling running through his entire body, telling him not to go any further. As he stood there with his bike, he watched a very large black cat walk across the track in front of him and look directly at him. He said the face of the animal was more panther or lion rather than that of a domestic cat, and its size was up there with the largest Rottweiler dogs that he'd ever seen. Its paws were huge, and its eyes were piercing. The tail seemed almost as long as its head and body. It only broke its gaze with him when the sound of loud squealing bike brakes seemed to disturb the cat, causing it to break into a sprint, back into the woodland, and out of sight. Surely all of these witnesses cannot be confusing what they're seeing with a dog or a fox. The characteristics of the tail alone are a complete giveaway that what these people are seeing is obviously some sort of very large and potentially dangerous wild cat. Walkers and cyclists all over Canuck Chase have reported seeing the carcasses of deer which have sustained fatal injuries from an animal that displays all the hunting traits of a large feline creature. Farmers have also come forward with tails of sheep being found, literally ripped to pieces. Unlike many domestic cats who will run away from humans who they don't know, the big cats of Canuck Chase seem to have no fear of human interaction at all. On the 1st of September 2005, workers at the Canuck Chase Enterprise Center, which is a collection of companies on a trading estate near the German World War II cemetery, reported seeing a large panther-like animal come within mere meters of them. One warehouse worker by the name of Anthony Cooper said that it was broad daylight, around lunchtime, when a number of his colleagues said that they heard something growling from the tree line of the woods and bushes nearby. Anthony admitted that he didn't hear anything, but did see something prowling around the dense undergrowth which bordered the trading estate. As it made its way to the tree line, Anthony was astonished to see a huge black cat just a distance of a few meters from him. He commented that it didn't seem concerned by his presence there at all and watched as the cat casually strolled off back into the dense bushes and vanished. As Anthony called his colleagues over to tell them, they also said that they'd seen the animal. Another witness who worked on the estate, Claire Clark, said that she and her boyfriend encountered something fierce and feline while walking in the woods near the Enterprise Park. She said that it was around midday and she was chatting happily to her boyfriend as they enjoyed their walk when she felt her boyfriend's hand loosen in hers. He then shouted, Look! and pointed to a sizable black animal crossing their path just a matter of a few feet away. 
the animal didn't appear to be bothered by their presence and continued to walk into the cover of the dense undergrowth and disappear. Both Claire and her boyfriend were literally stuck to the spot as they witnessed this strange creature cross their path and they noticed a number of things which completely convinced them that what they had just seen was no domestic cat but something much, much bigger. They both positively heard the animal growling as it walked. Then it was its sheer size. By their estimates, it was around six to seven times larger than a normal domestic cat. They even flagged down a passing police patrol car and reported what they'd seen to the officers inside. They did a quick search in the local area, but found nothing. Claire commented that she kicked herself that they had left their phones on their desk, never getting to take a picture of the beast which was just before them in touching distance. A chance to obtain evidence, gone. This might be convenient, some might say, but Claire's experience and telling of it seems genuine and real. She also makes a point of saying that she dreaded the thought of an elderly person or a parent with a small child who was running up ahead and in the undergrowth encountering this animal. She couldn't help thinking what the terrible consequences could be. There have now been approximately 2,000 sightings of these big black cats recorded by witnesses and most of the sightings identify them as being either a puma or a panther who seem to have absolutely no fear of humans at all. Both of these species of big cat are more than capable of attacking humans. Is it just a matter of time? Or are these animals now so aware of the risks that humans pose to them that they purposely try to steer clear of them and simply stick to the deer population and other animals that are abundant on Canic Chase? The question of whether these types of animals could survive in an area such as this is easy to answer. A large predator has everything they need to survive there. Food, water and cover. If you know your territory, know where to find food and water, you can largely remain hidden for years. Skeptics and cryptid hunters have spent weeks setting camera traps and staking out areas in the hopes of seeing one of these elusive creatures alive. And occasionally, photos emerge of large black cats, which have been spotted out in the woods and heathlands of Canic Chase. And there are some which are incredibly convincing. Casts of large feline footprints have also been taken, and these should also serve as a bit of a warning to those who walk, run, cycle and picnic at Canic Chase. You never really know what's out there. As we've now heard, this 26 square mile area of land has all sorts of strange stories to tell, with probably many more to come. Will Canic Chase finally give up all of its secrets? Will the old mine shafts and tunnels finally be exposed as the hiding places of creatures of this earth? and maybe those who are not of this earth. Will more ghostly sightings be reported over the years to come? Will the frightening phenomena of the black-eyed children continue to strike terror into the hearts and souls of those who are unfortunate to come into contact with them? And will the alleged UFO crash cover-up 
be finally exposed to the public? All of these questions and many more are begging to be answered. But for now, we'll all just have to wait and see. Almost every Friday and Monday evening, my own sister drives along the dark roads of Cannock Chase to her home, and even she admits that the whole feel of the place at night is very eerie. But how can an area as beautiful as that sometimes exude the same spine-chilling feelings during the day? Is it the land which emits this strange phenomenon from deep within? Who knows, but one thing is certain, and that is if you find yourself on Canic Chase one day, just as the sun is dipping below the horizon, and you hear a tap on the window of your car, just pay very close attention to who or what you may be speaking to, or even letting inside. Because the next person who could have a terrifying experience out there could be you. This is the Haunted UK podcast's last episode of 2023. And we've had an amazing year. And from everyone on the team of Haunted UK, we hope you've had a great Christmas and that you have a wonderful new year. Do you have an interesting story which you'd be willing to share with the show? If so, your story could feature in our end of season listener stories episodes. Please get in touch with the show via email at contactus at hauntedukpodcast.com, marking the subject as listener story. We're waiting for your stories. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK Podcast on Twitter at Haunted UK Pod and on Instagram at Haunted UK Podcast. You can also find us on our website at www.hauntedukpodcast.com where you'll be able to keep up to date with news and announcements, browse and download our episode scripts, get in touch with us, and much, much more. This episode was presented by Steve, produced by Pink Flamingo Home Studio, which you can also find on Instagram by searching for at Pink Flamingo Home Studio, the script for this episode was edited by Marie Waller Proofreading. For more information about this service, contact Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. For a list of all research sources which we found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care.